As I sit and do the podcast for the 172nd time, I have a nice, fresh cup of Boyer's coffee next to me, and it tastes really good. Second cup of the day, going to be honest, keeps me going. Love Boyer's Coffee. You can get uh, your Boyer's Coffee at boyerscoffee.com or your local supermarket. You know what's uh, hot right now? It's back. Toffee Caramel Crunch Coffee. How good does that sound? Plus all their other great flavors. And uh, they've been doing it in the Rocky Mountain region since 1965. It is fresh. It is local. And it is great coffee. And again... They can have it delivered right to your house. I'm a K-Cup guy. Uh, If you like uh, your coffee ground, you can do it that way as well. Just go to boyerscoffee.com. They'll have it delivered to your house within 48 hours. It's that simple. Or your favorite local grocer. It's Boyer's Coffee again. They've been in this uh, neighborhood since 1965. They're never leaving. You can have the best coffee and feel good about it because you're helping out one of your neighbors and one of your neighbors is such a great and philanthropic partner of the community. BoyersCoffee.com You know I love my steel products. That's S-T-I-H-L. SteelDealers.com. SteelUSA.com. Again, S-T-I-H-L. And I implore you to go to their websites or you can go to one of your local dealers because there's more than 10,000 around. So there's one, as I like to say, around the corner from you. Uh, I love to give you information on uh, steel. For instance, I just went to their website. They have over 760 different products listed. Chainsaws, check. Every kind of chainsaw. Electric chainsaws. Battery-powered chainsaws, which are super powerful, gas-powered chainsaws for the amateur all the way up to the top-notch professional. They have grass trimmers. They have great blowers, um, ones to uh, handle your garage, ones to handle even bigger projects. They have these hand saws out that uh, I have one in my garage. So if you need to take down you know, smaller trees, they're little hand saws. It's amazing stuff. Steel, S-T-I-H-L. They have a product for you. In fact, they have several products that are going to make your yard pristine. Go check them out. SteelDealers.com. SteelUSA.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, we've added a Goodman. Zach Goodman joins the show to take a deep dive on the MLB playoffs. Just get in the tournament. Get in the tournament and you never know what can happen. The Avalanche begin their defense of the Stanley Cup and timing may be everything. You know, they'll make their way into the playoffs as a high seed and then it just comes down to playing well at the right time. And Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic are finally back together. 796,320 minutes. That signifies what? Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. Glad, as always, you're along. It is show number 172 on our little endeavor here. And I was telling somebody back east, I was talking to literally this morning about how great our weather is. Since we got back from L.A. and finished the Rocky season 
two weeks ago now. Hard to believe how fast that's gone uh, into uh, the offseason. I don't know if I've seen a cloud in the sky. It's been just spectacular in terms of our weather. Went up to the mountains for a few days last week and, you know, all the aspens in full bloom. It goes quick. I, one thing about the northeastern autumn that um, I miss, and if you ever get an opportunity to go back to the northeast, to New England, there's so many more colors, but, you know, it's hard to compete with Colorado beauty uh, overall. But um, the autumn is gorgeous. Just love being outside, looking outside. And um, as I said a moment ago, I can't believe it's already been two weeks since the Rockies concluded that series against the Dodgers. And we're going to get into baseball here uh, in a moment. One of my sons, who's an aspiring uh, broadcaster, he's uh, still got a couple years left of uh, finishing another degree in college. And uh, he's going to get to play six years of college baseball because of COVID. So Zach will be along in a little bit. And we'll talk baseball and some other topics as well. But, um, you know, the upsets in baseball have been... One of the main topics of conversation over the last week, the Mets are out, the Dodgers, the 111 win Dodgers are out, the St. Louis Cardinals are out, and they had interesting storylines. And of course, the defending world champion, Atlanta Braves, who were not only the defending world champions, but they were better this year by far in the regular season and probably the best second half team in baseball this year. And they were eliminated and so we'll get into the whys and the hows and is there a way to, again, massage the postseason to maybe eliminate the possibility of these great teams being eliminated. Or maybe it's not a bad thing uh, either. It's like get in the tournament, man, and you have a chance. But it reminded me of the last six games of the season that the Rockies played. And the Rockies, you know, were not a good team. We know that. They won only 68 games all year. They played six at Dodger Stadium to finish the season. And because rosters can't expand like in previous Septembers, um, there's only 28 guys. You have to play your eight players. The Dodgers knew they were going to have five days off. So they were playing the Mookie Betts and the Freddie Freemans and the Max Muncies and all their, their star players, Trey Turner. And somehow the Rockies, as we know, went three and three against the Dodgers. Now, there's not a baseball person that's a sound mind that wouldn't take the majority of the Dodger roster over the Rockies roster. But the Rockies would have forced a Game 7, I'm being hypothetical here, if that last series had to be played out to determine a victor. Because in the last six games on the road, mind you, the Rockies and Dodgers split 3-3. That is how difficult it is to dominate in baseball. So I was just thinking about uh about that, uh, because clearly, obviously, the Dodgers are a much, much better team than the Rockies. Yet, over the final six games, we went three and three, and then the Dodgers get eliminated uh, uh, by the San Diego Padres. We'll get into that more uh, in a couple of moments. Do want to go to football? Want to start with the Broncos? This thing has been probably beaten to death, but I think the fan base for the Broncos is as understandably angry as they have been in quite some time. We know the last few years have been disappointing, to say the least. And it seemed like, especially with a high-caliber defense, and mind you, the defense through the first six games has played well, allowed only 93 points. 
that the Broncos were just a quarterback away, a star quarterback away from again becoming elite, becoming a championship contender. See Peyton Manning's arrival, dot, 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 right? We knew the storylines. We read about the storylines. And the Broncos gave up a king's ransom for Russell Wilson, who had put together a gorgeous 10-year resume in Seattle. Two Super Bowls, won one, should have won the other one, should have, would have, could have. Lost that on the famous interception on the slant route on the one-yard line. Go figure. Anyhow, Russell Wilson was by any measurement tremendous in Seattle. Tremendous leader, tremendous performance on the field, tremendous performance in close games late, great fourth quarter, quarterback, etc., etc. We know after watching the first six weeks, it has been anything but. And the questions abound, is it Nathaniel Hackett? Is it Russell Wilson, who, by the way, as of this taping, it appears may miss some time. Had the shoulder, now uh, a hamstring. But having said all of that, watching the Broncos the last couple of weeks, it's one thing to not be good. It's another thing to be bad and boring. And I I referred to the, the Rockies at times this year as they're not good and they're boring, which is not a good combination because we've seen lean Rockies years as I segue over to them for a moment, but they always had a couple of stars that you, you wanted to make sure you, you caught there at bat. And this year, the Rockies were not a good team and, and they weren't a super compelling team individually. Well, the, the Broncos, the last two weeks have played two of the most boring friggin' football games I have ever seen. And that is not an embellishment. The game against Indy was unwatchable. Whether you had a dog in the in the hunt or not, it was unwatchable. And then they backed that up again on national television, and that's the thing that's most painful, against the Chargers and play another game that was, by and large, unwatchable and ends up going to overtime again. And it started out, as you all know, pretty well for the Broncos on offense. They took a 10-0 lead. Russell Wilson hit his first 10 passes. But even within that, remember the pass to K.J. Hamler, you know, that they picked up, I think, 46 yards on? That ball was woefully underthrown. And that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. And then from that point forward, it was not good for Russell Wilson. The old line is a mess. In fairness, there were a number of times he, he literally had no time. And he threw for 15 yards in the second half in overtime. Think about that. 15 yards. 15 yards. And then there was the inexplicable again, going back to the coaching of Nathaniel Hackett. You run the football with Latavius Murray for nine yards in overtime, and it's third and one. And what we didn't know at the time but learned later is that there was a hamstring injury to Russell Wilson. And they had gone pretty conservative. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, boy, they have no confidence now in Russell Wilson. Maybe it's a combination of no confidence in Russell Wilson, no confidence in being able to protect him. But we also knew now afterward that he had a hamstring. So it's third and one. You've just gained nine yards on two carries with Latavius Murray. Would you not run the ball again to move the sticks? Maybe you go play action on first down after that. 
But instead, they go out of the shotgun, and he takes a deep drop, the equivalent of a, the old seven-step drop out of the, you know, when you're taking the, the football under center. And then they had to punt because the pass was, he was pressured and the pass was incomplete. Why on earth would you do that? That wasn't, that wasn't creative. It wasn't smart. And that's why fingers again point toward Nathaniel Hackett. And I get it. And he's not helped by a couple of other new coaches doing well. You guys know that uh, I, I've been a long time uh, and forever big New York Giant fan from growing up back there, passed on for generations. And the, and the Giants have been unwatchable for several years. But now, lo and behold, this year with Brian Dayball, they're 5-1. and one. They just find ways to win where the Broncos find ways to lose. So if you're a hardcore Broncos fan, you're looking and you're saying, there's some other coaches. Minnesota Vikings hired a, a new coach. They're doing just fine. The Giants, as I mentioned. And you're saying, wait a second. We have a quarterback, allegedly. And we have a quarterback-friendly coach, an offensive coach in Nathaniel Hackett, who's always upbeat, and I appreciate that and respect that. But right now, if you look back to a year ago, would you rather have Teddy Bridgewater or the, or the, or the guy that is wearing the uniform of Russell Wilson? Teddy Bridgewater, through six games, they were 3-3. Three and three. Bridgewater was playing better. What maybe even makes it worse is when you look out west— to Seattle, they're playing the journeyman Geno Smith. Geno Smith's playing great. Russell Wilson's completed a little over 58% of his passes, five touchdowns, three interceptions. He's been sacked 20 times. Geno Smith for Seattle, and they were supposed to be bad. Nine touchdowns in the air, just two picks. He's completing 73.4% of his passes. I don't know what the end game is with the Broncos moving forward. And again, their defense has played well. But there's so many question marks now. Jerry Judy, we were told he's one of the great route runners to come out of college in quite some time. Do you know that Jerry Judy, I, I believe the stat I saw, slightly less than 50% of his targets have turned into receptions? Troy Aikman was watching the game, and he on a number of occasions, I think he knows a thing or two about throwing the football and, and watching routes. He was talking about how the routes just don't look clean. They don't look polished coming from the Denver receiving core, which should have been a strength of this team. So there's a, a multitude of issues for this Bronco team. They've been bad and they've been hard to watch. They have not been enjoyable to watch. They're teams that don't win a lot of games, but they play exciting football. The Broncos have not been won. And now stay tuned with this uh, injury to Wilson. And, and stay tuned to Nathaniel Hackett. You have a new ownership group in Denver with the Broncos, as you know. An ownership group that we'll see how much influence people like Condi Rice have. Because at the very top, uh, you know, when Rob Walton spoke, he didn't even pronounce Roger Goodell's name properly. So I don't know how much football he knows. Uh, how much is he willing to, or how much are they as an ownership group willing to take when it appears that this could be a lost season and the head coach potentially could lose the locker room? Stay tuned. This is not what we had uh, hoped for and bought into. 
Did you guys happen to catch this? It's kind of funny. It was one of these viral Twitter internet little deals. The San Diego Padre fan who called up the main office of the Los Angeles Dodgers recently. Thank you for calling the Dodgers. This is Sabrina. Who am I speaking with? Yeah. Hi, Sabrina. This is Jake. Hi, Jake. How can I help? Yeah, I was looking for uh, information about purchasing tickets for the NLCS series. The, the Dodgers have been eliminated. We're not playing the NLCS. Oh, shoot. Who did they lose to? We lost to the Padres. That's right, baby. Let's go. Go Padres. Woo! It's our year. Let's go. Funny stuff and painful for that receptionist who answered the phone. The Dodgers eliminated by the Padres. A whole lot of Padre fans are having fun. You know, during the regular season, the Padres played the Dodgers 19 times and won four. Four times. Four for 15. Excuse me, four and 15. Moving on, I wanted to comment on this. Draymond Green punches Jordan Poole, and that became you know a huge story in sports for as long as stories stay huge in basically anything, and that's like 20 minutes. We'll give it 24 to 48 hours. It was a big deal. And Draymond Green, for a brief period of time, stepped away from the club. He issued apologies to Jordan Poole and to his teammates and to the organization. And there were varying opinions as to what should happen with Draymond Green. They should trade him. They should suspend him. He should have been fined more heavily etc., etc. And then there were some that defended it in sports, including his head coach, Steve Kerr, who was famously punched by Michael Jordan back in the day, and said, these things happen all the time. It's unusual that they get out, and it's certainly really unusual that there's video that gets out. And that's where 2022 is completely different than 1992 or 1982, where, yes, there's fights. We see them on the football field. They don't seem as dramatic because most of the time guys have their helmets on. Yes, they're big people, you know, swinging and pushing and shoving or whatever. This one was a little more alarming because you saw a violent punch by Draymond Green that landed on Jordan Poole. Now they have supposedly put it behind them. I watched Golden State open up against the Lakers last night. They look great. They're fun to watch. They're great to watch. Draymond Green at one point in the game had a, you know, a great backdoor pass to Jordan Poole on a driving layup. Uh, and they got their rings and and they they basically blew out uh the Lakers. Who by the way, in watching um LeBron James, he's amazing, man. 20th year in the league. He looked spry. He looked he looked really good. I know the shooting percentage overall wasn't great, but in, in just in terms of how he moved up the court, how he exploded down the lane, I, I thought he looked really good. All right, going back to this uh, Jordan Poole, the punch that uh, he got from Draymond Green. I'm going to break it down a little differently. And um, I was talking to my man, Marky, who does such a great job of producing this show. Uh, and he said, you know, who are the all-time villains in sport? And I, we started naming off together a, a bunch of villains from, you know, Bill Romanowski here in Denver to even a guy like Boogie Cousins, who played for the, the Nuggets and played well last year. Uh, for some, Russell Westbrook, 
who participated last night, uh, Rob Dibble, part of the, the Nasty Boys with uh, Cincinnati, John Rocker, who, you know, made basically borderline or, or maybe not borderline racist comments about the people uh, on the subway uh, in New York. Um, I think of Meta World Peace or Ron Ortaz, Bill Lambeer, Antonio Brown, Brad Marchand in hockey. How about Nazem Khatri? if we want to talk hockey and guys that have been a villain. So I, I throw out a bunch of names, and I'm sure there's names running through your mind as you listen to this podcast right now of villains. And I thought Marky made a wonderful point. I'm going to regurgitate it right now and said, it really comes down to this. Would you be okay if that villain who you don't like, you despise, played for your team? Could you then find a way to maybe wrap your arms around him and say, well, he's our villain? And yeah, wouldn't like him if I was wearing, you know, the colors of another team and he was playing against us. But since he plays for my team, I can wrap my arms around him. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Or are some guys just so detestable that you wouldn't want them playing for you? So let's start with uh, the original cause to have this conversation. Draymond Green and the now celebrated and often seen punch to uh, Jordan Poole's, the side of his face. If I'm in the NBA, whether it is a fan, as a fan or as a general manager, a head coach, and you had an opportunity to reasonably acquire Draymond Green or just magically put him on your roster would I want him? Absolutely. I've listened to Draymond Green through the years. I've watched him play. He's a great complimentary piece, tremendous complimentary piece, um, often overlooked, at least in the past, maybe not as much now, because of the greatness of Steph Curry, the presence of, of Kevin Durant when he was out there, you know, uh, of the great shooting of Clay Thompson. Uh, so, so often overlooked. But if you could have him on your team, I'd absolutely have him on, on my team. Bill Romanowski, famous Bronco. That one was almost borderline for me. Oh, that was almost borderline. Here's another modern guy that gets brought up all the time. Who I saw him play last night. I mentioned this. Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook can always play on my team. And I'll tell you why. Because in professional sports, we talk now about load management. We talk about, man, the, the length of the season is such that it, it's hard to give supreme effort every single day. These are topics that are intertwined in all four major sports and uh, are talked about at some level on a frequent basis. Russell Westbrook plays his ass off every single night. Is he the greatest shooter in the world? No, he's not. Um can he give you, you know, looks or whatever? I don't know Russell Westbrook, but I know this much. When I watch him play, as I did last night, he always plays his tail off. He rebounds, he drives, he cares. So that guy can always play on my team. I'll tell you a guy that I wouldn't want on my team, Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown, by any measurement, when he was playing, was a, not good, he was a great 
wide receiver. But all of the peripheral stuff, all of the antics, to me, got to a point, maybe not initially, but got to a point where it obscured his talent. And certainly, guess what? 32 teams now in the NFL are great. I mean, he was living at Tom Brady's house. Tom Brady, you know, put his arms around him. He's living at Tom Brady's house. And and he couldn't even work in Tampa with the greatest quarterback of all time in the perfect environment. So, yeah, sometimes you could be too much of a pain in the ass that it's not worth it. Nas Kadri, I guarantee you there's a whole lot of players and fans around the league that hated him whenever, when he's in your environment, seemingly a great guy, hell of a player, and all the things that, you know, would get under your skin as an opponent when he's playing for your team, you kind of grinned. Now, you didn't grin a couple of years ago in the postseason when he got himself suspended for eight games, but to his credit, he kind of reined that in a little bit. But he's always been a villain, but he's a villain you want on your club. And it was hard to see him leave as the salary cap got to the avalanche and they couldn't keep everybody, as you know. But I think that's a great way of determining when you see something happen or somebody does something, can you take a step back and say, all right, was that so bad, so egregious that I wouldn't want him playing for my team? There are guys out there like John Rocker. You can have John Rocker. I don't want somebody like that in my clubhouse. And John Rocker, obviously, career is long over, just like I mentioned Bill Romanowski you know, earlier. John Rocker's career is long over. But back in the day, John Rocker, uh, for a period of time, was a dominant closer. But I don't know if I want that guy in my clubhouse. I don't want Antonio Brown in my locker room. But I'll take Draymond Green. Absolutely. I'll tell you what, from everything I've read about, and I covered him when I was doing the Nuggets back in the day, I'd take, I'd take Meta World Peace because I think he, it was important for him to win. There was some other stuff. But I didn't get the feeling like bad human being. So I think that's a, a great guideline when you watch some of these things unfold and you read about them. You have to take a step back, take everything in and determine, okay, if he was playing for my team, easy to hate him when he plays for the other team. But if he's playing for my team, would I want him? All right, we're going to uh, move on. We're going to bring in my son here. and We're going to talk uh, various topics and uh, shoot the shit a little bit. So... Stay with us. All right, I bring you my middle son, Zachary, who is uh, in his like 11th year of, of uh, going to college and playing college baseball. Benefiting from COVID and the NCAA giving a couple of years extra eligibility. So anyhow, let's talk about uh, baseball. First off. Mets were heavy favorite. The Dodgers went 111 games. Atlanta was better during the regular season by far this year than they were a year ago when they were world champions. They're all out. Good thing or bad thing for baseball? I think it's not necessarily them being out is necessarily a good thing. Uh, but luckily in the NL, the teams that did eliminate them have some star power and, and, and some good names that you want to see competing late into October and in this year, early November because of the lockout. Well, some of the star power was on display as we taped this in game one of the NLCS, Philadelphia. I mean, it was an offensive explosion. They get three hits. The Padres get all of one hit. It tied for the lowest hit total in an NLCS or maybe even a playoff game. I can't remember. Four hits total. But 
star power. Kyle Schwarber hits one six miles, and earlier in the ball game, Bryce Harper, huge star, hits one out of the ballpark. So they have some star power on these teams that surprisingly are playing in the NLCS. Yeah, and you add Cassianos onto that for the Phillies, and especially with Nola and Wheeler at the start of that rotation, a lot of big names, uh, especially for a team that finished seventh in the NL and was the team that was the last team to to make it in. And the Padres, as the sixth seed, I, I assume probably weren't expecting to be hosting the NLCS, um, but <laughs> that's the way it worked out this year. Tons of upsets, but yeah, obviously there's there's a lot of star power in their lineup too, Machado and. And Josh Bell and Juan Soto and, you know, Josh Hader, Joe Musgrove, you Darvish, uh, Blake Snell, uh, who's going tonight. There's there's a lot of big names. Josh Hader. I can't remember if I, I might have just mentioned it. But, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of big names on that team, too. Well, with the Padres, who were as aggressive as any team come the trade deadline, and they've been that way a number of years with A.J. Preller at the helm, whether it's in the offseason or at the trade deadline, getting Soto, getting Bell, getting Brandon Drury. This is not a team, as we're talking about, that's devoid of, of big names. And it just goes to show you that all you have to do is get in the tournament. So I think it may not be as appealing to the networks as the Dodgers playing the Mets because it's New York and it's Los Angeles. A lot of good baseball players, a lot of familiar names to people who follow the sport. Yeah, and it's good because not only are they familiar names and cool names to to watch play in this uh, this uh, we've never seen Harper play this deep in the playoffs, and he's been he won the MVP last year, and if he was healthy this year, he probably would have given a run at it as well. Uh, so it is cool to see those big names, but it's also cool that it's not on the same teams that you see year after year. And the Braves are fun to root for, but you know they've been there almost every year. The Dodgers, obviously, their their long run of success. Uh, you don't want to see those teams anymore. You want to see the Phillies and the, the Padres who haven't been in this place for a long, long time. And it, it's new blood, but it's also talented and big name type of blood. It also goes to show you the old adage, just get in the tournament and you never know what can happen. Yeah. the you know, We're in Colorado, obviously fond of the 2007 Rockies run. Uh, you look at the 2014 Royals for the 2015 Mets, where you, you get in and you get hot at the right time and you can make a run at it. Uh, even the Nationals in 2019, the, they're good teams that make a run. And it, it was cool this year, obviously, in the NL, two, two big upsets in the NLDS. And and in all the wildcard series, for the most part, there was, there was a good amount of upsets. All right. I want to raise a question. Because of the upsets, because the Dodgers, and I'm sure there's a lot of Dodger fans who are up naturally are upset, but feel like, well, we didn't get enough of an advantage in the postseason after the marathon. That is the major league season. We won 111 times. We were one of the greatest regular season teams of all time. And yet we're done because you play a best out of five in the divisional series. Hockey, a sport you're very fond of. We'll talk hockey here in a moment. You got to win 16 times as the avalanche just did last spring to win the Stanley cup. I love the wild card, the new wild card format, two out of three. I mean, it's really, you know, potentially three game sevens. You lose a game and you're up against it. So high drama with all three and, and, uh, with, with the three game series. But why not go to best out of seven for the divisional series as it is for the championship series and obviously for the world series? Would you be good with that? I would be completely okay with that, especially you play 162 games. Uh, that's, you know, uh, 
the NBA and the NHL play 82 games, but yet they're able to have four sets of seven-game series if you want to win it all. Uh, the, the MLB plays 162 and will double, or right about double the games, and they don't play as many games in the playoffs. I think that uh, adding those extra two games would be beneficial. Uh, however, the teams that are complaining uh, this year, and the, the rhetoric going around those teams that uh, has been mentioned a lot on national media or Twitter, wherever you're looking at it, is that the five game set they they deserve they they shouldn't be knocked out and the advantage goes to the wild card teams. But I think this year, and there's something to be said about taking time off and and not having time off, riding the momentum of winning a pre uh, a prior series. But the way that it worked out this year, especially in baseball, you're you don't get to see the, the teams number one, and if they are on short rest from the team that was in the wild card compared to the Dodgers who were able to line up all their guys. The, the Braves were able to line up all their starting pitchers. So you're going one versus three, one versus four, whatever it is. I think that if they do the same bracket over and over again over the course of the you know the next 15 years, obviously they're going to probably change it uh, as things are constantly developing in the MLB and you know maybe the expansion. But if they played this type of tournament over and over, I think the better team moves on more often than not. But this year... Uh, the two of the best teams in baseball got upset, and obviously in the wild card round, the mess as well. They're not feeling that way in LA, I guarantee you, because for all the regular season wins in Los Angeles, given the fact that the only time they were the last one standing was after the abbreviated season, the truncated season of uh, of 2020, they haven't won a World Series since 1988, despite being the most dominant team the last uh, decade. So they may feel differently. You know what? I was giving Spilly a hard time about this because obviously Spilly played for a long time. Part of that 07 team that, uh, that you referenced where the Rockies, you know, went on, on the great run, the hot team. Spilly felt like it would be a huge advantage for those teams that were off for five days to align their rotation, to get much needed rest. Yet my counter to that is baseball is a sport that by its nature, the players, it's ingrained in them. They play day after day after day. Now you get one or two days off, fine. But as it played out, it didn't turn out to be this huge advantage for the teams that were just lying in wait. Yeah, it didn't. And there's that's a conversation that happens in every sport. Is it better to have time off or is it better to keep riding that hot momentum if a team sweeps a team and you know the NBA playoffs and the other team goes seven games and has an emotional game seven win? Uh, even though they, the other teams had rest, you kind of favor the the team that's riding that emotional high. And I think it can work both ways because we, I mean, we're talking hockey in a little bit, but I know this is baseball, but the Avalanche had several times where they, they well, both times they, they swept uh, in these past playoffs against the Predators and the Oilers. They had a lot of time off before their next series. And that was a concern uh, amongst people, but obviously it didn't, didn't seem to matter much to them. So I think the best teams, uh, I don't think it necessarily matters if you're rested or if you're riding high. I think, especially in baseball, I think it's, you know, it, it is about getting hot at the right time, but the game's dominated by pitching. As we watched last night, that great Padres lineup put up one hit because Zach Wheeler was unhittable. Uh, so if you're able to line up your starters like that, like I said, I think if they play this tournament over and over again, I think it, it does benefit the, the higher team, not only because they are probably the better team as the Dodgers won 111 games, but you line up your pitching better and, uh, you know, if it, for example, Scherzer went Friday night for the Dodger, I mean, for the Mets instead of DeGrom because they had more confidence that Scherzer could turn around on short rest and pitch Tuesday. Uh, it changes a lot of things. I think that the advantage this year, because of that wild card 
for those top teams in the the NLDS, the ALDS was more because they were able to have that pitching advantage going into the series. But it didn't turn out that way. Well, it underscores why we love sports because you never know. I went 0 for 4 in my predictions for whatever the hell that's worth in, in the wild card round. And I was reading a piece earlier today that was uh, from a couple of weeks ago. And they had interviewed more than 200 players in the game and asked them basically four questions. If it's, um, you know, who you'd, who you'd want pitching a game seven, if you pick any starter in baseball, who you'd want pitching a game seven. And the two top vote getters were? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I'll answer it for you. It's, it's, I would assume Jacob deGrom, but he's hasn't okay. had that. J- Jacob deGrom was one. Who do you think was two? Matt Scherzer. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And they're on the same damn team. Yeah. And guess what? They're home watching now. And you know who the closer was? Because they had four questions. The other one was, if you had to pick one closer in baseball to throw the ninth inning, who would you pick? Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz overwhelmingly. Because, again, over 200 baseball players, major league players, were polled. And if memory serves me correctly, about 45%. So basically half of the... 200 players polled who have to compete against these guys, said Edwin Diaz. So the top two pitchers you'd want throwing a game seven, according to major league players, were DeGrom and Scherzer, way ahead of everybody else, by the way. Verlander was a close third. And the closer was Edwin Diaz, who's had a remarkable year this year, one of the greatest seasons ever for a closer. And they're out of it. It just tells you about sports, and it tells you in particular about the vagaries of baseball. Earlier, you know, you heard me uh, probably talking about, you know, the Rockies obviously not a good team. This year, 68 wins, and they play six games at Dodger Stadium down the stretch, and it's 3-3. Three and three. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Rockies were in the same class as the Dodgers, but it's baseball, man. You never know. Yep, and that's why the best baseball teams lose at 30% of the time. And that's if they're an elite, elite, elite team. It's hard to, it's hard to win baseball games and any team could show up on any day and, and beat anyone. You've, you've brought up this analogy uh, a few times talking about college athletics. If, you know, Ohio State went to, uh, we bring up Denison. That's where, uh, my older brother Jacob went for a little bit. They have a good football team for the D3 level. But if they went and played Ohio State, you said that, they had to bring body bags. It wouldn't even be a contest. It would be dangerous for uh, Denison. Whereas if Denison played Ohio State in baseball, I mean, they might go win one or two times, uh, depending. They, there'll probably be a few games in there where they're blowouts and laughers. But, you know, a couple of games are going to come down to the wire and they could squeeze one out. Uh, it's just the beauty of baseball. And that's that's the way it works in this game is that anyone can win. And that's why we see so many uh, upsets and teams getting hot. And I think that makes the, the playoffs a a hell of a lot more interesting than when you'd, you'd line up 16 NBA teams and go, well, the next three rounds don't matter because we know it's going to be Golden State versus Cleveland for four years in a row or whatever it was. So I think baseball has that beauty, and that's why there hasn't been a repeat champion since uh, 1998 through 2000, the repeat with the Yankees. Uh, the last team to go to back-to-back World Series was the Phillies in 08 and 09. Uh, it, it's hard to go back. It's hard to repeat uh, greatness at, at, in the postseason for baseball, and I think that speaks to the beauty of the game. I'm glad you mentioned Ohio State. Ohio State is in the running again to win a national championship as we speak. Have you seen a better game in recent memory than Alabama at Nayland Stadium against Tennessee? I think that 
when you combine the atmosphere, the way the game played out, the importance of it, the fact that it's Alabama, the fact that Tennessee hadn't beaten them in so long, that Tennessee's having a season that Tennessee fans think that they should, they should have every year, uh, but they're actually having that year this year, and how crazy the stadium was, how much it meant to everyone. I think, yeah, there's it's, it, it'd be tough to find a college football game in recent memory that uh, you know kind of lived up to that level of hype and uh, had that much of a great finish and... Yeah, it was it was it was great. That the final kick, it looks like it was short to me, and it was kind of like a knuckleball, and it, it barely snuck over the the field goal. I mean, there was a there was a ton of suspense until they the referees raised their arm that it was good to to end the game. There was no there was no breathing for either fan uh, for either fan base until that moment. I think it was a thirty nine yard field goal, and if it was forty one, I don't think it's good. So, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It doesn't matter. That kid got you know basically carried off on. On uh, his teammates' shoulders, and Tennessee won, and and there was uh, probably a party still going on in Knoxville as we speak. I still believe that Alabama is going to be in the equation in January to win another national championship. It speaks to the greatness of Nick Saban, in my mind, the greatest college football coach of all time, and I think for many, and you're going to see a defense that gave up 52 points to Tennessee all of a sudden start playing at a different level. They have a great player in Bryce Young. We know that. I think the best of Alabama is yet to come. Yeah, they do this uh, not every year because a lot of years they go into the tournament undefeated. But when they do have a hiccup like this, it's never them getting blown out. It's usually a loss very similar to this. It's a close game at the end, and the other team wins, and it's the greatest win in their program history as they storm the field. But Alabama will bounce back, and they'll be a one-loss team, and they'll probably be a three or four seed in the college football playoff. It's just what happens every year. So it, it'll probably happen again this year. Uh, you're not talking about a, a bad beat anywhere. You lost the number six team in the country, a desperate fan base and, and team to finally beat Alabama the number six team in the country in front of 110,000 people. It's nothing to be uh, ashamed of, and they'll they'll bounce back for All sure. Right. Moving on to one of your favorite topics, Colorado Avalanche and the NHL. The ads opened up, um, and I was fortunate enough to go to the game against the Blackhawks. They get to raise the banner. I know you did your own banner raising back uh, in St. Louis in your apartment as you watched from afar. My take on the avalanche, and we know Landis Gog's going to be out in the neighborhood of three months, is that, and I said this last week, that they're going to be, you know, so-so basically until January when they really kick things in. And some of that's just the hangover effect and the shortness of rest between winning 16 times just seemingly weeks ago to capture the Stanley Cup. And, and I don't expect them, I guess, in conclusion to be as dominant in the regular season as they were a year ago that's not to say they can't repeat though what's your take we'll see how it plays out i still expect them to to win the central division and and hopefully have the most points in the western conference clinch home field home ice advantage uh through the playoffs if that last change but and that was, i thought that was important for for the abs last year but there there is a sense to it where you know the tampa bay lightning have been the last three stanley cups and the three years that they've gone they're not the, the top team in the NHL, whereas in 2019, they were the best team in the NHL and they got swept in four games in the first round by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Not just the best team in the NHL, one of the best you know seasons a, a team has ever had in the regular season for the NHL and they're out in four games. So I think the Avalanche, uh, through the maturity levels of the past playoff runs, 
have kind of realized that they just got to make it in and play well at the right time and keep a you know an even keel mindset that Nathan McKinnon talks about and they all talk about that all the time is having an even keel and that's that's a little bit of the difference that uh not getting too emotional um throughout it so I think that they'll be good again you're right I don't think they'll put up 119 points again but I think they'll be well over 100 and you know they'll make their way into the playoffs as a high seed and then it just comes down to playing well at the right time well, I hope you're right. And, and of course, getting in the tournament, it's analogous to what we're talking about with baseball and playing well at the right time. And certainly the Avalanche now have a, a reservoir of experience and success that they can uh, lean upon when, when we get to uh, April. Yeah, they do. Uh, I think the biggest difference between this year's team and last year's team is just the depth. And I think no one would argue with that. There's not a ton of core guys that they lost. You could argue Burakovsky and obviously Nazem Kadri, uh, but those guys that Kadri had a career year and they're not taking away nothing from those guys. So they were great. But th- I think at this point, you just trust Joe Sackett and McFarland so much that they're going to put good guys on the ice and everything that they do is going to work out. Cause it looks, you know, you create Justin Barron for Lekin in last year and they're like, Oh, we just gave away our best defensive prospect all these things and Arturi Lekinen comes in and was one of the biggest pieces to winning the Stanley Cup and now you have them locked up locked down for a long time so you just kind of trust those guys it, it'll be interesting to see who cleans up that depth position out of camp Lucas Sedlak and Ben Myers were the uh the guys that they chose to do that Sedlak ended up getting put on waivers he had sent down to AHL just got picked up by the Flyers a couple hours ago so he's no longer even on the avalanche and that was your your guy out of camp that you know hey this is our fourth line guy uh, you wanted to to give him a shot. Ben Myers was the top undrafted rookie last year out of out of Minnesota, the captain there, and he made the team out of camp, and now he's deck down with the Eagles. So we'll see. Martin Cobb's coming up. He's a former first round pick. Might be his last chance with the the Avalanche to to find a spot on the team. But you need a guy like that. You need someone to step up, kind of in the way that uh, Logan O'Connor did last year, uh, to to find themselves in a role where they're playing almost every day, and and they need someone to do that. Uh, um, not a big name that that hasn't been seen recently. They're gonna they're gonna need a couple of guys to step up, especially until Gabe Landeskog, who's out for the next three months, is uh, comes back, and then Darren Helm, who's been skating around in a non non contact red jersey at practice recently, uh, to come back and give them some depth. You know, stay at Ball Arena. I'm going to give you a number and a name. Nuggets is the name, and here's the number: seven hundred ninety six thousand three hundred twenty minutes. That signifies what I assume it's uh, based off something of the the Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray playing with Nikola Jokic or when last whenever the last time they did that was because ding 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 you got okay. it right that's exactly right it's been se- and this is courtesy of Marky and he must have had a lot of idle time on his hands flying between here and Pittsburgh where where he goes back uh, quite frequently seven hundred ninety six. 1,320 minutes since, you're absolutely right, Murray, Jokic, and Porter on the floor together. There are people who know a lot about the NBA. More people pick Golden State, obviously, to repeat. But there are people who pick the Nuggets to come out of the West. Well, when you have a team that's been a successful, the Nuggets have been successful over the last few years. Obviously, they haven't won a championship or anything. But it's going to be the first time hopefully they stay healthy, that you see Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and Nikola Jokic play on the floor for the entire season together. And that's what, when you look at them and you stay healthy, all these experts are, hey, this is this is a really good 
good basketball team. They have depth as well. And yeah, all those analytical sites and stuff, for example, 538, they're huge on the Nuggets in years past. They have been too, to, to win the championship. Uh, yeah, if they can stay healthy, uh, it'd be pretty cool if we'd see a, a couple banners raising your ball arena. That would be something. It'll come down to defense. Michael Malone has always uh, stated that. We know that in sports, defense wins. Uh, when they're going, we know the threesome can score. Now we'll have to see those three along with others uh, defend. I will leave you with this. The Arizona Fall League is the best league for prospects. It's kind of like a finishing school, if you will, that takes place in Arizona in the fall, thus the name, the Arizona Fall League, uh, for the top prospects for all 30 teams. Uh, the Salt Lake City Raptors, Salt Lake City, the, the Salt River Raptors are where the uh, Rockies' top prospects play. Well, as we speak, Zach Veen is off to a tremendous start in 30-some-odd at-bats. He has an OPS above 1,100. The other thing about Zach Veen, who's a corner outfield prospect and one of the best prospects in baseball, is that he can really run, and he gets good jumps, and he utilizes his speed. I don't know how he's done it, but in a handful of games, he has 11 stolen bases already in 13 attempts. He stole well over 50 bases uh, during the summer as well. So that's exciting news. Yeah, it's obviously, as a Rockies fan, it's good to see any of our prospects doing well, especially that there's so many in the top 100 now, and there's uh, the farm system is building up, which is good to see. But yeah, stealing 56 bases is remarkable it happens every once in a while at those lower minor league levels but that's you know that's not just being fast it's picking your spots and knowing the game so that's that's encouraging and anytime you can hit at that level in the Arizona Fall League it usually translates to at least a certain amount of uh, success at the major league level it's definitely a ground like hey they can hit at this level the yet guys I mean the Arizona Fall League like you mentioned is kind of like that last step and to see Zach Fien playing so well and it, it is great. Your the other guys you'll be seeing playing it's like Heston Kerstad or Kumar Rocker. Those guys who are also playing in the the fall league, those are big prospect names and Zach Fien belongs right up there with them. Yeah, it's good to see. It is really good to see and we'll keep you posted on uh, other happenings in the Arizona Fall League as we go forward. Um let's go uh let's go work out, man. I appreciate it. Love you. Yeah, let's do it. Love All you right. too. That's my uh, my middle son, Zach. Thanks again for uh, indulging in uh, what we do here on the Drew Goodman Podcast every week. Tell your friends, I always uh, tell you. Tell your enemies, too. Why not? Uh, we'll do it again in seven days. Stay safe, stay well, and uh, we'll talk to you shortly. Shortly.